we continue our journey of examining the events that happened after the battle of Khaybar and there is one claim mentioned in Sunni books of hadith that I would like to dedicate this discussion to analyzing this claim and evaluating it academically and critically. Many Sunni sources such as Bukhari and others have narrated hadiths that claim that during Khaybar the Prophet prohibited Muslims from two things. One of them is the mut'a of woman, temporary marriage, and the second is eating the meat of domestic donkeys. I will share with you the text of hadith in Bukhari. So for instance, Bukhari narrates, Haddathana Malik ibn Ismail, he's narrated this, from who? Ibn Uyayna, he says that he heard a Zuhari state, Al-Hasan ibn Muhammad ibn Ali, and his brother Abdullah ibn Muhammad, they narrate from their father that Imam Ali alayhi salam said to Ibn Abbas the following, Anna Aliyan radiyallahu anhu qala ibn Abbas, inna al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, of course wa alihi is from me, not from Bukhari, the Prophet always told us to mention wa alihi after mentioning him and his, uh, after mentioning his blessed name, so according to this hadith, supposedly Imam Ali السلام, said to Ibn Abbas that the Prophet Naha Anil Mut'a, the Prophet prohibited from Mut'a, and also the meat of domestic donkeys, Zamana Khaybar, during the era of Khaybar, at the time of Khaybar. Now this invites us, my dear brothers and sisters, to critically analyze this hadith and also the discussion on temporary marriage. Now this is not a comprehensive discussion on mut'a or um, temporary marriage. We, we examine that in our Islamic belief series, but we have to make some very important observations here because many of these books have claimed that after Khaybar or at Khaybar, the Prophet said, temporary marriage is no longer allowed. I have prohibited Muslims from temporary marriage. So let's examine this discussion of temporary marriage in a very academic way. But I will keep the discussion brief by mentioning a number of observations and points. The first observation, my dear brothers and sisters, there are many misconceptions about what temporary marriage is. Temporary marriage is a type of marriage. It's a full, valid marriage with some differences. There are differences between it and the permanent marriage, such as it having a fixed duration. A, temp a permanent marriage lasts until divorce, right? The divorce ends it. Whereas in a temporary marriage, the duration is set by the husband and the wife. Amongst the other differences is that there's no inheritance between the husband and the wife. If one of them dies, they don't inherit one another, unlike permanent marriage. And the husband is not obligated to spend on his wife, unless she stipulates in the contract. So it has rules, it's a type of marriage. It has rules like the idda, the waiting period, the father's permission, when it's required in permanent marriage, it's also required in temporary marriage. 
So a lot of the rules are shared, but there are some differences. It's very important to know in this first observation that temporary marriage is a type of marriage. It's protected by the rights of marriage. It has slightly different rules than permanent marriage, but at the end of the day, it is a marriage. The second observation here about temporary marriage is the role of words. Words are verbal signatures. When you make a verbal contract, you are actually initiating a verbal signature. You know how these days, sometimes you're signing a form, you're submitting an application, there's what's called an e-signature. You're not really signing with your hands, even though sometimes they allow you to sign, right, with your fingers. However, there's something called an e-signature. You check a box and you say, I consent to this form. They accept that as your signature. Now it's an electronic signature. So we have types of signatures. One type of signature, it's what's, what's called the verbal signature. Those people who say temporary marriage is immoral, right? How can just one verbal statement, the contract make something that's haram, halal, that doesn't make any sense, it's still corrupt, it's still immoral. The answer to that, no. Words have a real impact. Words are verbal signatures. So you cannot say it's immoral, it's a contract. And yes, a contract changes everything. If I go and break into someone's house, I'm considered an intruder, right? I, I could be considered a thief. I could be jailed for that. But let's say you make a contract with your friend or with that person, I buy your house for $100,000. He says, I accept the contract, we've made the sale. Next month, we'll finalize everything. Now when you go to this house and you're checking it out, are you considered an intruder? Of course not. What, what changed? A statement. One verbal statement comprised of a few words. I sell this house for 100,000, I accept the sale. Done, it's verbal, it's not even on paper. Islamically and historically in most societies, verbal transactions are accepted. It's recommended to have witnesses to avoid future disputes but according to Islamic law, and all Muslims accept this, verbal transactions are valid transactions. If you go to a shop and you take an item, right, without a transaction, you're a robber, you're a thief. But if you say to the owner, I buy this from you, he says, I accept, that's it, it's yours. Even if you don't pay for it now, you can pay for it tomorrow, whatever you agree with, with the, with the seller. It's just a verbal contract, but yeah, that verbal contract switches and flips something from being haram to halal, from something that's unlawful to lawful. It's the same with the temporary marriage contract. It flips something that's haram to halal, because now it's a contract. Now it's a transaction, now it comes with rights, now it comes with conditions. Many Muslims fail to understand these points. Many Muslims who are not the followers of Ahlul Bayt who attack temporary marriage as being corrupt and immoral, and even, even many Shias who don't understand what the temporary marriage is, and so they attack it, they denounce it. They denounce it altogether. This is corrupt, this has no room in religion. Understand, it's a transaction. And 
if, if, if anyone challenges you and says, come on, one statement is going to change it? Yes, one statement can change something from haram to halal, from halal to haram. Very simple. So words are verbal signatures and they do have a powerful impact. That's the second observation here. The third observation here about the temporary marriage contract is the purpose of the temporary marriage contract. Some people ask, what's the purpose of it? Why did you know, the religion of Islam allow it? Why does the school of Ahlul Bayt recognize that it's a legitimate marriage? Well, there are many answers to this, my dear brothers and sisters, but one simple answer is that sometimes permanent marriage is simply not possible for some people. Some people cannot afford to get permanently married. There is no one they can permanently marry. They're 25, they're 30, they're 35, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them a right to lawfully be with a partner on a temporary basis with less obligations. So it's not possible for some people to get married on a permanent basis. Or some people might travel for a prolonged period and they cannot stay without a partner. Otherwise, they will fall into sin. They will fall into haram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made living according to Islamic law unbearable. Let's say a person cannot get married in the next 10 years. A person is traveling for five years. Okay, ideally the person should wait until they can, they can get permanently married and start a family. But the reality is many people cannot, they will fall into sin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given an alternative. It's a temporary solution for a temporary situation, for a temporary challenge, for a temporary problem. It's a legal way in Allah's law to have a relationship with the opposite gender when permanent marriage is not possible. Now yes, it comes with conditions and ethical standards, we'll examine them briefly. But that's one purpose of the temporary marriage contract. Another, another purpose of the temporary marriage contract is to get to know your potential spouse before doing the full engagement and fully committing in a halal way. Islam does not allow for dating. I know many people these days, they do intend to get married, they have good intentions, their families even know, but they'll spend six months going out with each other, I mean literally dating each other, joking with one another, you know, being romantic with another, touching with one another. That's not, that's not permissible in the eyes of Allah. In the law of God, if she's not halal to you, you've not made a marriage contract, she's not mahram to you, he's not mahram to you. So one solution that I see families observing is to do a temporary marriage contract with the, with the knowledge of the families. We'll give you a month, two months, get to know one another, see if there's compatibility and then if both, sides, if both sides are on the same page, then you could do the permanent marriage contract and you can get married. That's one purpose that it serves. Another purpose is adoption. And when we say adoption, Islamic adoption, right? With, with the Islamic guidelines. Let's say a family, they adopt a girl. Well, when she's nine, she has to wear hijab from the stepfather, from the stepbrothers. She has to wear the hijab, of course. Now this makes life difficult at home when she has to observe the hijab. Or if the adopted child is a boy, when he becomes of age and reaches puberty, 
his stepmother, his stepsisters have to wear the hijab. One solution to make this person lawful in the family in terms of hijab laws is to do a temporary marriage contract. For instance, if a temporary marriage contract is done with the adopted uh, child with one of the step, you know, siblings, the parents become mahram. And so they can interact with the child without the burdens of hijab. This, this is also one purpose. This could serve one purpose, you know, to make living with adopted children um, easier. So the temporary marriage contract has many purposes. And those who quickly condemn it and consider it immoral are overlooking these purposes of the temporary marriage contract. So that's the third observation. The fourth observation about temporary marriage, as we are discussing this point, did the Prophet ban it at Khaybar or no? Because Sunnis claim that the Prophet banned it at Khaybar. Many people say this is like prostitution. There is no difference between temporary marriage, the muta marriage and prostitution. It's immoral and there's no way you can rationalize it. it it's exactly like prostitution. We don't see any difference, that's the claim. The answer to that very briefly is that there are protections and measures in the marriage contract that make it avoid prostitution. There are protections against prostitution in the temporary marriage contract. For instance, the guardian's permission is required according to the understanding of most scholars if the girl is unmarried, if she's a virgin. If the girl is a, is, is virgin, and she wants to do a temporary marriage contract, most scholars say she needs her father's permission. Just like permanent marriage, there's no difference. That's the first protection. The second protection is the observance of the idda. Some people think a lady can do temporary marriage and the next day with another man, third day with a no, there's a idda. If the marriage is consummated, she has to observe the idda, the waiting period. That protects a woman from, a woman from being a prostitute. See, people who attack the temporary marriage fail to understand this point. Prostitutes have absolutely no contract, no obligations, no rights, right? It is immoral, of course. And there's no waiting period. A prostitute can be with, with uh, someone, with five people in one day, with ten people in one day. Not with the temporary marriage contract because there's the idda to be observed. That generally is a protection against prostitution. Now I know sometimes, you know, some Sunni scholars when they attack the temporary marriage, they're like, no, technically, she can be with multiple men in one day. How? If the marriage is not consummated. Let's say the marriage is not consummated, right? Other acts are done. Well, once the duration ends, let's say, they, let's say they put the duration as an hour. Once the hour ends, she separates, a minute later, she can initiate another marriage contract with another man. The marriage is not consummated, she can do that with 20 men in one day. So yeah, see this is immoral. Which, uh, one, one Sunday scholar said, which religion of God will allow that? How, how would you respond to this objection? What would you say about this specific objection here? Yeah, it's true. If the marriage is not consummated, there's no idda, there's no waiting period. So technically, she can initiate a marriage contract with multiple men in one day. How, how would you respond to this? Those who say, look, this is like prostitution, this is immoral. 
it's just like kind of talking with the other person. There's not really nothing much happening there, I guess. But 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 they can argue that it's true the marriage is not being consummated, but you know, many intimate, many other intimate acts can be done. At the end of the day, you've got that sexual component here. So, and that's immoral. You know, to be sexually active with 10 men a day is, is just immoral. No religion of God can justify that. Th that's what they will say. So how do you respond to that? I'll give you a hint. What about the permanent marriage? Exactly. This objection, just as it applies to the temporary marriage, it applies to the permanent marriage. What's the difference? Two people can get married permanently, right? It's not a temporary marriage contract. It's a permanent contract. The marriage is not consummated. An hour later, he divorces her, right? As soon as he divorces her, she can marry someone else. He divorces her 30 minutes later, she can marry somewhere else, someone else. She can do this with 20 men in one day, with permanent marriage. Does that mean that permanent marriage is immoral now? See, that's, that's an unfair objection here. If somebody wants to do something inappropriate, unwise, right? It doesn't mean the law itself is a bad law. Yeah, some people may misuse the law, but that's their problem, not the law's problem. But if your objection is that in a temporary marriage contract, you can be, you can assign 30 minutes, 30 minutes, or 30 minutes with each man, well, the same thing can be done with a permanent marriage contract. What is the difference? There's absolutely no difference here. Just like in temporary marriage contract, this is a possible scenario. In a permanent marriage contract, this is also a possible scenario. Does that mean now permanent marriage is immoral? You see the absurdity of this claim? So honestly, this is not a valid objection. There are protections against uh, you know, prostitution. And to equate that with prostitution is, is just not fair. I'll share with you a statement by Shaltut, who was the head of Al-Azhar, Shaykh Al-Shaltut, you know, was very well known, the head of Al-Azhar. He has a statement in which he criticizes the Shia and he criticizes temporary marriage. And basically he says, how can a godly Sharia allow a woman to be with 11 men in one year. How is that possible? Now, what does he mean by that? She's like, okay, let's say the marriage is consummated and she waits the waiting period. Now the waiting period in the temporary marriage contract is two months, according to many scholars, not three months. So that's another difference between permanent marriage and temporary marriage. In permanent marriage, it's three months, right? Three cycles. Whereas in temporary marriage, it's two cycles. So he's like, okay, let's take the lowest time of the cycle. Let's say it ends right now and the cycle comes tomorrow. And then the, the other cycle comes in 25 days. So within a month, she can be free from the effects of this marriage and she can enter another relationship. So technically, technically, she can be with 11 men in one year. What kind of a religion would, would allow that? What kind of godly sharia would allow that? So he's trying to say this is corrupt. Well, the response to that is, it's very similar to permanent marriage. If you look at the different schools of thought, the Malikis, the Hanbalis, the Hanafis, right? The Shafi'is. 
and ask them what is the minimum idda that a woman has to observe, right? The minimum possible idda that a woman has that that a woman has to observe before she can remarry. They've clearly stated it. Some of them say it's 30 days, some of them 45 days, some of them say 50 days, right? It's possible. There are some women who have pretty quick cycles. Let's say her husband divorces her today, tomorrow her first cycle starts, right? And then the minimum time between the cycles is 10 days. So let's say 12 days later she has her second cycle, and then 12 days later she has her third cycle. It's possible. It's theoretically possible. It's technically possible. Based on that, according to the different madahib, technically, a woman can be permanently married to six, seven, eight, nine, or ten men per year in permanent marriage. And she's observing the idda. She could be married to anywhere between six and ten men, depending on the different criteria of the madahib. Now, honestly, brothers and sisters, do you see a big difference between 11, the figure that Shaltut, the head of the Azhar sites, and ten or six or seven? So, Mr. Shaltut, if it's six or seven, it's moral. It's moral. It's godly. It's godly sharia. If it's eight, it's godly. If it's nine, it's godly. If it's ten, according to some of your madahib, it's godly. But the minute it touches the number 11 with the temporary marriage contract, right? It now becomes ungodly and it's, it's now prostitution and it's now this and that and immoral and corrupt. Double standards. If this is your objection to temporary marriage, the same objection can be made to permanent marriage. A woman can get permanently married to six or ten men in one year based on the different criteria of the madahib. So okay, so let non-Muslims come and judge us and say, look, this is evil, this is prostitution. Your whole marriage system in Islam is corrupt. Can it be godly? Can, is that the sharia of Allah? That's not an academic objective objection to temporary marriage. The same objection applies to permanent marriage. So my dear brothers and sisters, the reason why I'm emphasizing this is that you'll find most of the objections made against temporary marriage are objections that can be made to the permanent marriage. Someone wants to misuse any law, they, it's, it's their problem. It doesn't mean the law is corrupt. It doesn't mean the law is problematic. The use of the law is what's important, not the law itself. But the way that they talk about temporary marriage, they say, no, no, this law in itself was corrupt. And that's why the Prophet banned it. Okay. The fifth objection here. The fifth objection is very interesting. It's the classical common objection that says, okay, if temporary marriage is God's law, and it's a type of valid marriage in Islam, and it's not immoral, would you accept it for your daughter or your sister? Would you accept that for your daughter? Well, obviously no. So you see it's immoral. So why do you come and legalize something that you would not accept for your daughter? I've heard grand Sunni scholars make this objection. Shame on Shia scholars. In their fatwas, they say this is a valid marriage, and in doing so, people are encouraged to practice this marriage, but they would not accept this for their daughters. That's a classic um, objection. How, how would you respond to this? Any ideas? What's an appropriate response to this? 
I'll share with you an interesting conversation between Abu Hanifa and one of the companions of Al-Imam Al-Sadiq, Al-Imam Al-Kadhim Abu Ja'far Mu'min Al-Taq. He was one of the great companions. This same conversation happened between them. So basically Abu Hanifa, he asked Mu'min Al-Taq, this great follower of Ahlul Bayt, he was one of the great companions of Al-Imam Al-Kadhim he, he asked him, he told him, what do you say about the mut'a marriage? Do you claim it is lawful? So Abu Ja'far, Mu'min al-Taq said, yes, I do say it is lawful. So Abu Hanifa said to him, then what prevents you from commanding your woman to engage in this marriage and bring you some income? You see the very condescending way he spoke with, the very disrespectful way of approaching this. Abu Ja'far, Mu'min al-Taq said, not all professions, actions are desired, even if they are halal. People have different statuses and ranks. And you know, sometimes they may raise their status and not do something. And then look at the response of Mu'min al-Taq and his objection to Abu Hanifa. He tells him, but tell me, what do you say about Nabith? Do you claim it is lawful? Abu Hanifa said yes. Nabith basically is a type of drink that Abu Hanifa would say it's lawful for people to drink. Now in our um, madhab and also other madhahib, they do consider it haram. They're like if it's alcoholic, but it's, it's low in alcohol, it doesn't really make you drunk, right? It's like one of those beers that's not concentrated and doesn't make you drunk. Abu Hanifa says it's lawful. So he said Nabith is lawful. So Abu Ja'far, Mu'min al-Taq is asking Abu Hanifa, do you claim that Nabith is lawful? He said, yes, of course, that's my fatwa. So Abu Ja'far, Mu'min al-Taq told him, so what prevents you from having your woman sit in bars and make this beer and bring you some income? <laughs> Abu Hanifa said to him one for one, meaning tit for tat, but your arrow is more piercing. And then, you know, they basically um, continue the conversation because Abu Hanifa claimed, okay, it was initially legal in Islam, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala banned it, uh, where uh, Abu Ja'far, uh, he, he refuted his claim and he proved to him that no, the Quran did not ban it. It's, it's an interesting conversation. So you find that even during the time of the Imams, they would make this, you know, um, absurd argument, you know, would you accept it for your woman? Would you accept it for your daughters? In fact, Imam al-Baqir once a man, he came to him and he told him, is this legal in God's law? He's like, yes. So the person said to Imam al-Baqir, would you accept that to your daughters? The Imam just stopped the conversation with him because he was being so disrespectful. Um, so any ideas on how to respond to this objection? That's a good response and we shared that in our Islamic belief series. Basically, there are some things that are permissible, halal, but yeah, you may not accept them for personal reasons, for any, any reasons. And the example that we gave 
is let's say someone from the lower classes comes and proposes, asking your daughter's hand in marriage. Let's say a janitor, a trash picker. Would you accept your daughter to marry a janitor, a, a trash picker? Honestly, most people in the community will say no. Does that mean it's haram? Does that mean it's immoral? It's corrupt? So let's issue a fatwa, Sunni scholars, you should issue a fatwa that marrying a janitor is haram because nobody accepts that for their daughter. You see the absurdity of this type of claim? The temporary marriage has its reasons, its purposes. When the purposes are justified, yes, any believer accepts something that Allah has made lawful. And another example we gave is that if this is the only way to protect from haram, then of course you'll accept it. If it's the only way, yes. Of course, one should not, um, you know, one should have that patience, one should resist against their desires, absolutely. But if the person knows that I will definitely fall into haram, well, which is better, to commit adultery or to at least be in a lawful legal marriage contract? Which father, which father would say, yes, I'd rather my daughter commit adultery or fornication, but not a temporary marriage contract? Which father would say that? So the way they frame it is, is honestly questionable. That's the fifth observation here. I am summarizing the observations here. The sixth observation is that Sunnis have marriages that are like the temporary marriage contract, like the Misyar marriage. Basically, they make a condition when they are doing the marriage contract, and Sunni scholars have allowed this. They say that no spending is required, because in permanent marriage, by default, the husband has to spend on his wife. In temporary marriage, he doesn't have to, right? But you can put a condition, I marry you permanently, on the condition that I'm not going to spend on you. That's a valid condition, right? So there's no spending, and the ultimate intention is not to start a family. That's what the Misyar marriage is for. A person travels, he goes to another country for two years, he needs to be in a halal relationship, so he marries a woman, right? And they don't set a duration, but there's an understanding that it's a temporary relationship. There's no spending, they don't need to live with each other, and then after two years, he divorces her and he leaves. All Sunni scholars say this is valid. She can put such a condition, he can put such a condition, that I'm not going to spend on you, I'm not going to live physically with you. Because one of the laws of permanent marriage is that at least one night out of four nights, the husband has to be physically at night be present with his wife in the same house, in the same room. But not if you stipulate that you don't want this condition. So if temporary marriage is immoral, then the Messiah marriage is also immoral. Would, would you accept that? Would Sunni scholars accept that? Number seven, the seventh observation. Is there any basis for it in the Qur'an? Yes. Surah An-Nisa, verse 24. That's 4, 24. All Sunni scholars agree that this verse initially in Islam legalized the temporary marriage contract. For instance, Ibn Kathir in his tafsir, in the tafsir of this verse, 4, 24, and also Fakhr al-Razi, a great, a prominent Sunni exegete of the Qur'an, he says that this verse in the Qur'an legalized temporary marriage, but then they claim later it was banned. And so this verse got abrogated. Now we 
both agree, Sunnis and Shias, both agree that the Quran legalized it. The difference is, did the Quran abrogate it or no? Sunnis claim yes, we say no. That's the difference. Does that now make us corrupt and immoral? Just because we have a difference of opinion about which verse abrogated which verse? Since when did this discussion, which verse abrogates another verse, make you immoral and deviant? It's a fiqhi discussion, just a legal discussion. But you all agree that the basis for it is in the Quran. It's a Quranic practice, but you claim it was banned later, either by the Prophet or by another verse in the Quran. But you all agree it's in the Quran. So if Shias say it's lawful, are they contradicting the Quran or they're supporting the Quran? By all means, they are supporting the Holy Quran and the Holy Quran supports that. Now, here's an interesting observation, number eight. As we said, all Muslims agree that it was valid in Islam up until Khaybar, as Bukhari claims, right? Up until Khaybar, Khaybar is almost year seven of the Hijrah. For, so all those years it was valid. Now, here's our, our observation here. How can something valid, all those years it was valid, right? How can something valid be inherently immoral and inherently corrupt? If something is immoral, it must be haram always. Why make an exception? Yeah, the first seven years in Medina, it was okay, it was permissible. In Mecca, it was permissible. It was um, not corrupt, it was okay. But then later, it became immoral. How does something switch to becoming immoral? How do you make such an exception? Interestingly, some Sunni scholars have claimed that the mut'a marriage got prohibited several times, meaning it was legal, then it got prohibited. Then the Prophet made it legal, then it got prohibited again. Some say this happened two times, some say four times, some say six times. SubhanAllah, so something is immoral today, tomorrow it's moral. It's immoral, then it's moral. Then it's immoral, then it's moral. What kind of standards are we going by here? You know, when Sahih Muslim mentions the hadith, uh, the hadiths on temporary marriage, he writes a chapter, right? About temporary marriage. You know what he calls the chapter? You know what the label of the chapter is? Th these are the words of Sahih Muslim. Babu nikah al-mut'a, the chapter of the mut'a marriage. Wa bayan annahu, and explaining that. Ubiha thumma nusikha. Thumma ubiha thumma nukhsikha. Wastaqarra tahrimu ila yawm al-qiyamah. He says, in this chapter, I'll examine that the marriage, the mut'a marriage, was legal, then it got abrogated, meaning it got nullified. Then, obiha again, it was made permissible, then it got abrogated, and it stayed abrogated till the Day of Judgment. That's the title of his chapter. And then you claim that it's immoral inherently, if it's inherently immoral, if it's prostitution, Habibi, prostitution is haram all the time. How can the Prophet in the Quran legalize prostitution for one day? It's, it's, it's just so interesting how when it comes, you know, those other schools of thought, when it comes to sectarian issues with the Shias, I don't know what happens with their intellect, honestly. Like what, what happens to the intellect, I don't know. Yes, the most, the most a Sunni can say, 
I accept it was legal at some time. We have our evidence that it became illegal. You have your differences of opinion, fine. But for you to come and say it's prostitution, that means you're accusing the Quran in 424 and accusing Rasulullah of allowing prostitution for seven years. Like where's, where's the intellect? Like, like I shared with you the ruling of Shaltut, the head of Al-Azhar. We're not talking about some small student of religion. We're talking about the head of the Sunni world. Says this is prostitution, this is shameful. There is no room for it in God's law. Really? So how was it in God's law for seven years in Medina? How? This is Bukhari, this is Muslim. You, you all agree that it was legal at one point. So how did God make it legal if it's so corrupt and, inher and inherently immoral? I don't understand. I honestly don't understand how they make these, you know, objections and these slanders and these attacks on the Shia school of thought. On the day of judgment, they are responsible before Allah and Rasulullah. Those who say it's prostitution, prostitution and immoral, they're accusing Rasulullah of allowing immorality because they accept in their hadiths that the Prophet allowed it at once. So this is a very important observation that we have. The ninth observation, and we discussed the hadiths in our Islamic belief series, but just to share with you two hadiths in their Sahih works about the temporary marriage. Out of many, many, out of tens of hadiths. One hadith is the hadith of Abdullah in Sahih Bukhari, this is hadith number 4615-4615. So basically, Abdullah narrates that We used to participate in wars with the Prophet and we had no woman, no wives with us. I'm reading for you the text of the translation. So we said, so we said, Abdullah says, we said, shall we castrate ourselves? basically to handle not being with, with a woman. But the Prophet forbade us to do that. And thenceforth, he allowed us to marry a woman temporarily by giving her even a garment as her dowry. The Prophet allowed us to do temporary marriage and to give the dowry even if it's a garment. And then he recited, O you who believe, do not make unlawful the good things which Allah has made lawful for you. This is Quran 587. This hadith clearly indicates the Prophet allowed his companions to engage in temporary marriage because they were struggling and they had no other solution. And there's no hint, there's no mention in the hadith that later it got forbidden. You look at the hadith, it's lawful. And in fact, by citing verse 587, the it being lawful is very clear. You know, why do you consider something haram when Allah has prohibited it? Prohibited it. This is in Sahih Bukhari. The second hadith I'll share with you is the hadith of Ata' in Sahih Muslim. That's hadith number 1405. Ata' basically reported that Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari came to perform the Umrah. And we came to where he was staying. Ata' is saying we went to visit Jabir. He says people ask Jabir about different things and then they mention the temporary marriage. So what did Jabir state according to Sahih Muslim? He said the following, Jabir, these are not my words, these are the words of Jabir, the great companion of the Prophet that all Muslims respect. He said, yes, we had been benefiting ourselves by this temporary marriage during the lifetime of the Prophet. 
Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And during the time of Abu Bakr and Umar. This hadith is also very clear that the temporary marriage was lawful up until the era of Umar. He's the one who banned it, as we shall see in our next observation. So we have Sahih hadiths in Sunni works that temporary marriage was lawful during the time of the Prophet My question to Sunni scholars, Sunni academics is the following. You can say you have evidence later it was banned, fine, say that. You have every right to say that. But when you say it's immoral, it's corrupt, it's prostitution, how do you justify these hadiths? How would the Prophet allow for prostitution for seven years in Medina? How? Which Prophet would do that? And this shows how absurd their attack is on the Shias. The 10th observation, so who banned it? Did the Prophet ban it? Did the Quran ban it? Who banned it? Well, Sahih Muslim, Muslim tells you who banned it. The hadith of Abu Nadra. This is hadith 1217-1217. Abu Nadra basically states, Kana Ibn Abbas Ibn Abbas would say the mut'a is legal. But Ibn Zubair, he would say, no, it's not legal. He says, Abu Nadra says, I mentioned that to Jabir Ibn Abdullah al-Ansari. What did Jabir say? Jabir said, I was present when that discussion took place. We observed the tamattu' with the Messenger of Allah, but when the Caliph ruled, he said, verily, Allah would make lawful for his Messenger whatever he wanted as he wanted, meaning Umar ibn al-Khattab said this. And every command of the Quran has been revealed for every occasion. So complete Hajj and Umrah for Allah, as Allah has commanded you, he's referring to the Mut'ah of the Hajj, and stop the marriage of these women with whom you have performed the Mut'ah marriage with. Umar is saying this, and any person would come to me with a marriage of appointed duration, meaning the temporary marriage, I would stone him to death. I consider that zina. Jabir is saying, Umar is the one who banned it. We have another hadith in Sahih Muslim by Jabir. This is hadith 1249. This is narrated from Abu Nadra. He basically says in this hadith that we were by Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari when someone asked him about the mut'a and he says we practiced it during the era of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. Then Umar ibn al-Khattab is the one who banned it. The prohibition came from Umar. This is in Sahih Muslim, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, Ahl-Sunnah can argue, yes, we have these hadiths, but we have other contradictory hadiths that state the Prophet banned it. That's fine. In your own science of hadith, you can do whatever you want. You want to choose this hadith, choose that hadith. But don't attack us, the followers of Ahl-Bayt, for being immoral or corrupt. Because you have these hadiths in your Sahih works. There's overwhelming evidence that Umar ibn al-Khattab is the one who banned it. And why are we obligated to follow Umar ibn al-Khattab? He does not represent the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet does. So these are some very important observations when this discussion is made. Now, yes, the final observation, my dear brothers and sisters here, there are ethical guidelines. Who said this marriage does not come with ethical guidelines? If you look at the ahadith of Ahlul Bayt, there are so many ethical guidelines they have put. 
One of them, for instance, there's a hadith from uh, the Imam alayhi salam, Imam al-Kadhim, or Imam al-Ridha, said to Abu al-Hasan alayhi salam, Imam al-Ridha alayhi salam, he said, I asked him about the temporary marriage. The Imam alayhi salam basically told him, look, be responsible, there should be a need for it. If you're unable to get married, and this is the only way for you to protect your religion, to protect your chastity, then yes, this is something lawful that Allah has made for you. But basically, don't abuse it. In another hadith, the Imam السلام, from Imam al-Hadi, he stated, you know, uh, to, to men, don't make your wives hate religion. If you go and you practice this marriage and you do so recklessly, without any regard, you know, for your family, you will push your wives to hate religion and to hate the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, this is an ethical guideline that the Imam السلام, was telling his companions. The Imam was told them, yes, we have to keep the Sunnah alive by saying that this is a valid marriage. And there should be, you know, people when appropriately who should practice that to keep the Sunnah of the Prophet alive. But not for them to abuse it, to be excessive in it. So we have so many um, guidelines here. One of the problems, you know, with some people in temporary marriage today is that they objectify women. They treat her, you know, just as a means to release their desires without any human regard for her. That's wrong. Allah does not approve of that. Some become excessive. They don't really have a justified reason. That's wrong. Any law can be misused. Another guideline that we have from the Imams السلام, is that it should not affect your reputation. Uh, one hadith from Ammar, he says, I heard Imam al-Sadiq say to me and Sulaiman ibn Khalid, they were friends. He told them, I've prohibited you to, when he says prohibited, it doesn't mean haram in God's law. It means I discourage you from practicing temporary marriage in Medina because you're my companions and then they will arrest you and they'll say these are the companions of Ja'far. And this will put us in a negative situation because the ruler of Medina considers this adultery and, and we don't want to get in trouble with the law. So when you're in Medina, avoid bringing us a negative reputation. So yes, there's also the reputation factor that many, sometimes many young people don't even consider when they, when they contemplate this type of marriage. Another guideline is that the woman should be chaste and pure. Abu Sarah says, I asked Imam al-Sadiq about temporary marriage. He says, halal. فَلَا تَتَزَوَّجْ إِلَّا عَفِيفًا Yes, it's permissible, but marry someone chaste, pure. In other words, the Imam is saying, it's not like prostitution. No, marry someone chaste, pure. Let your reason be justified. So, in reality, we find that there are a lot of moral guidelines, ethical guidelines, and many times when people attack this, um, you know, they don't even consider these guidelines, which is, which is unfair. Now, in this discussion, my dear brothers and sisters, in no way when scholars address this point, in no way are they advocating for this. No, they are stating the law of Allah as it is. We cannot change something for the sake of people or society. God's law is that it's lawful. When the conditions are met, it's lawful. Yes, it's fine. But it doesn't mean that any scholar is advocating for that because whenever this discussion 
you know, is brought up, some people start attacking the scholars. Well, why do you even talk about this? Why are you advocating for it? It's not an advocation for it. It's just defending the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fiqh of Al-Muhammad. That this is a type of marriage with its conditions. It's a valid, proper marriage. Yes, is it abuse? Sure, everything's abuse. Is there something human beings have not abused? But it doesn't mean the law is an invalid law. So you have many hadiths like the hadith of Bukhari, which I shared with you in the beginning. That claim at Khaybar, the Prophet made an announcement that from today and onwards, the temporary marriage is no longer valid and it's prohibited in the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We dispute that. We believe based on much of the evidence that we've presented that these were fabrications. It was Umar ibn al-Khattab who banned it, but later, you know, in history, hadiths were fabricated to attribute that to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So that, that is the discussion that I wanted to have with you because this is something, an, an important claim that has been made, uh, you know, about Khaybar and the prohibition of this type of marriage. Do you have any questions, any observations you'd like to share? Please uh, feel free to do so. Do you, do you accept the argument that if something is immoral inherently, as Sunnis claim, that the temporary marriage is immoral, then how could it be legal for seven years in Medina? What's your take on this particular objection? Correct. What's immoral is always immoral. It doesn't flip-flop. Um, once a brother objected to me, an interesting objection. He's like, no, you can have something that's moral in the beginning and Islam allows you to do it and commands you to do it. Then it becomes immoral. I told him what? He's like drinking, drinking wine. In the early years of Islam, Islam allowed it. Islam told people drink and then later Allah prohibited it, right? But today we say that drinking is immoral, but Islam considered it moral at one time, and then it became immoral. So yeah, we do have examples of that. How would you respond to that? Where is the fallacy in this argument? The harms are greater than the benefits. But, but here's the question, Islam banned it in stages. But in those early stages, did Islam allow it and told people go and drink? No. That, that's the important point here. See, Islam never told people drink. I allow you to drink, go and drink, it's okay to drink. Never did Islam say that. In the early years, Islam didn't say anything. Islam didn't punish people for drinking. Then Islam kept 
psychologically preparing the people. Oh people, don't uh, pray while you're drunk. People, the harms of drinking are more. See, Islam is preparing the stage, but nowhere did Islam say drinking is moral. No way did, uh, drinking is always immoral. All prophets of God, we believe, banned drinking. Before Islam, other sharia's had banned drinking. So this argument has a big fallacy in that it's giving you the impression that Islam said it's moral, it's okay, go drink. Islam never said that. Where did Islam say go ahead and drink? It's moral. It's immoral. Decent people wouldn't drink, even before the prohibition of alcohol. Yes, Islam did not punish because Islam wanted to basically prepare the people. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not imposing any laws. But, but Islam never said that it's moral. Never. Not one hadith, not one valid hadith or verse that says, yeah, go drink how much ever you want. It's okay. Whereas with the temporary marriage, no, the Prophet told his companions. He told them, no, why go and do that? You know, those two companions who wanted to castrate themselves. The Prophet says, no, temporary marriage. It's halal. Did you, have you seen any hadith that says wine is halal? Islam never said wine is halal. Islam didn't comment on wine, then it started preparing, and then it banned it. That's the difference between these two. Does that make sense? Okay, any other observations before we conclude? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi al-tahirin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad.